Let's try it out. Let's try it out. Everybody get, get yourself ready. Love. Love. Love God. Love people. And this comes from the Shema in the Old Testament. This come, and then Jesus echoed it in the New Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. Can you say that with me? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. And that's, that, listen, this is, our, this is our vision, and this is what we want to, to get into the marrow of who we are, remember. This is the DNA of heaven that we want to be the identity and DNA of us, the orchard. That above all things, we love God. And above all things, we love people. Amen? Amen. Let's, so, so we're in a series where we're looking at that, and the last two weeks have been about loving God with all your heart, and then loving God with all your soul. Thank you, Charlie. And if you have not listened to those, I would encourage you to go back and, and catch this whole series. This is who we are. And the best way to catch that is to, on your smartphone, go to your um, app store and search Orchard Life, and download our app, and all of your wildest dreams will come true. <laughs> You can listen to the soothing tones of Charlie Hill as you fall asleep. Just leave it on. And as you wake up, you'll be there. You can hear all of it. It has all the Bible translations, all those things, so get the app. Well, today we're talking about loving the Lord your God with all of your mind. And, and I've done some, amazing, some research this week, and it's been fascinating. It's been so fun just to kind of dive in on a new, a new topic. Did you know until recently recently in terms of history and science, that they believe that once the brain was 25-ish years old, it was set. It was done changing. Now, it could change through a stroke or through trauma or but something like that, but the brain itself was kind of done. Well, there's a new studies that, that have been coming out, and we're probably on the, we, we kind of get a sense of this already. It's called neuroplasticity. It's your brain's ability to change and transform even well into your adulthood, even until the day you die. Your brain can transform and change. Now, there's a couple different ways that it changes, and just very briefly, I won't bore you with all of this. There's, there's one way where it changes chemically, where your neurons, they, they're, they're, they're firing in there, and there's, there's more chemical, there's more intense, they, 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 more intensely, they're more excitable. And this is short-term memory, and that kind of affects that, but the chemistry of your brain changes. And then there's structural change which is over a long time, your brain changes structures based on the pathways you give it. Have you ever played an instrument or done um, a martial art or something uh, athletic and you practice one day and you kind of get the hang of it and you come back the next day expecting to pick up there, but you don't? You kind of go back a little bit? That's because those changes in your brain were chemical, they weren't yet structural. But you watch somebody who can play virtuoso or someone who knows their martial arts, it, their brain, their structure has changed. And the other way it changes is through, through function. They did a, a whole study on the New York taxi drivers and the mapping area of their brain, that region, was, was just so activated, so active. People who read Braille, their tactile sense in their brain, that region is, is activated and in, in the, in the structure and form is a little different than those who don't. Our brains are incredible and neuroplasticity is teaching us that we can change the form and function and chemistry of our brain through our life. It's such a surprising study except for that the Bible already talked about it. <laughs> and so I love that we're going to go in and see what, this, what it has to do for us today, but our brain is consistently and constantly working. Even now, those of you who are about to fall asleep, your brain is working. Even now, on the podcast, as you're driving to work, your brain, your neurons are firing. They're constantly firing. See, when you experience something new, do you know this? When you experience something new, a new neural pathway is made in your brain. It links different regions. A neural pathway is the path for electrical impulses in your brain when you experience or think something new. An epiphany could be, oh, whoa, it feels so shocking. It is. It's electrical impulses finding new ways in your brain. And now that this path is formed, it's easier and easier. Did you know that? Once you think about something, the more you think about it, or once you experience something, the more you, you kind of experience it, it's easier and easier. Your brain has a pathway. And not only that, it, it makes it easier. Your brain is like, it's like this. A field of grass. Picture a field of grass before you. And you want to cut through over there. And so one day you just cut through the grass. And you like that shortcut. It's the first time you've ever taken that shortcut. 
Well, tomorrow you want to take the same shortcut. And you, you kind of, you have to look at where it is and you see the grass is a little bit, and it's a little bit hard to follow that second day. The third day, it's a little bit easier. Listen, six months from now, there's no grass on that little thing. It's not a path, it's a trail. This is how our brain works. The first time you did something, it might have been awkward but by now, you, your body just responds and you do it easy, right? You, we've all watched children grow up and watch them try to do something. Or the first time you, you thought about something difficult that was new to you, it was, it was cumbersome and you had to kind of put your hand around it, but now you just get it, right? When you experience something new, new neural pathways are made. I'm gonna show you a video here in a second. We're gonna watch on screen as neural pathways are being carved for the first time. I have a video of my son trying his first ice cream cone. And it's in Santa Fe, and he, it was just this summer, yes, we're those parents that um, don't let our kid have a lot of sugar. He has the rest of his life to do that. Um, in fact, on, e on Halloween, he gets all his candy, and he's so excited. He goes, let's put it in my five-year-old bag. So we have a five-year-old bag. He's not here, but, so he doesn't know that the five-year-old bag is his mom's bag, and, and uh, when he turns five, he'll get some of that candy back, sure. But here he is in Santa Fe, and he's heard about ice cream. He's practiced it at home. He's pretended, but he's never had it. And you'll watch here as he's doing it, new neural just synapses everywhere as texture and, and temperature and flavor and the cone, everything is just going. And he, he even laps it like a little dog. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. So let's watch Eli's first ever ice cream taste. And he's sitting next to his grandpa, who has a lifetime of neural pathways and, and knows his way around an ice cream. And if Eli is lucky, he will someday master the, that, that, like you, Dad. I'm, it was very interesting to watch. Uh, is, is he's learning the ropes, and over here. <laughs> but you see, we all, when we learn or experience something new, isn't it fun to have new things? Isn't it, that's the, one of the joys of having children, is just teaching them new things. And I hope sometimes here in church you go, oh, as you have a new neural pathway and you learn something new. Our hope is that we are learning and changing and becoming more and more like Jesus. The bottom line is this. When we do something or th think something over and over, it becomes easier and faster to us. We don't even have to think about it. He will someday eat an ice cream cone and not think about how he's doing it. We just do it, don't we? We just do these things. Some of these pathways are older than we can even remember. Some of the pathways in your head that you are thinking on every day are older than you can remember. And in fact, some of our lives are being dictated by thoughts and experiences that are traveling neural pathways that were created in our childhood. Ways that you think about yourself, ways that you think about God, ways that you think about others and ways that you think God thinks about you. Some of us have those neural pathways from our infancy and our childhood. You know, this, this is just the power of thought. We know our thoughts are powerful, right? Right? We, we just get so used to thinking, most of us. You're just in the car and you're thinking and, and before you know it, you, you ever done the, the, just the thought chain where you start thinking about the Broncos and you end up over here in Alcapulco? So, and you don't even know how you, my wife will go, what are you thinking about? And I go, what? And I, I don't even want to tell her because it's just, it's so weird. I, I'm, 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 my brain has just gone away over there. Our brains are, our thoughts, we just get so used to it. We don't always think that our thoughts are so powerful. But did you know that your thinking and what you think about has the power to drastically change your quality of life? Some of you are absolutely intimately understanding this right now. You would give anything to have some peace in your thought life, some escape from some thoughts that constantly harass and harangue you. See, our thoughts can drastically change our quality of life. Neural pathways, both good and bad, are firing throughout our day, changing our experiences in the moment, affecting how we perceive the entire world around us. These pathways impact everything about us, including how we see ourselves. 
These thoughts go deep within us and these create our core beliefs. The way um, these core beliefs, they're, they're, they're our, our, the center of our greatest thoughts, our deepest thoughts. Your core belief about who you are, that affects how you operate. And from that comes all the thinking about yourself. How do you think about yourself? What thoughts do you think about yourself that no one knows? What accusations do you say to yourself? You've, you've probably heard a speaker say at some point that if you change your thoughts, you change your life. You heard this? And the, and the reasoning goes like this. If you change your thoughts, your emotions and attitudes will soon follow. Change your emotions and attitudes and your habits will soon change. Change your habits and your character changes. Change your character, change your life. If you want to change your life, don't start with your emotion, don't start with your attitude. Go back and change the way you think. And there's some scientific biology proof to this. Listen, our thinking is so powerful that it, re- it also correlates directly to our responses in our relationships. If you have a thought that you're worthless, then you, your responses, your perceptions of other people and how they're acting toward you and your actions will come from that. And if you think others are worthless or some group of people or some person is worthless, then your thoughts will fall in line with that. This affects everything we do, the way we think. Which leads me to this, the power of negative thinking. We all know we shouldn't think negative thoughts, right? It's it's not rocket science. I know I shouldn't think negative thoughts. I think we get so inoculated to them that we we go through our day thinking them without even checking them. Probably today, at some point, maybe it was the drive-in, I don't know, you had one of those moments where you are lost in thought and it's, it's a negative um, image. You know, Eli's going through some sickness right, right now and we might have to have some CT scans tomorrow. We'll see some, some lymph node stuff. And so for me right now, I, I remember I'm working on this message and while I'm working on it, these thoughts start firing off. I bet it's cancer. I mean, I'm a doctor, right? <laughs> I have a firm grasp on what is and isn't, you know? And then I, 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 and, it, and it's just this sniping shot that takes me, I walk through the house and I see his jersey on the floor and I go, I wonder if he'll ever wear that again. What? I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. How often do we put up with this stuff in our mind? And let me ask you, how does that affect us Emotionally. What does that do to me when I think that thought? What does it do to you when you think those thoughts about your kids, your spouse, your job, your life? What effect does it have on you? It's not positive. There's a power in negative thinking. Our brain scripts each moment of our day. Whether it's anxiety and worry, health concern, kid concern, job concern, relationship preoccupation, addiction preoccupation, vice, fantasy. These effects are tangible. Our thoughts go down into, and if, the, if they're soaking up these, these ne- if we're having negative thoughts, it's going to produce negative fruit. It, pr- it produces negative emotions in me. And from those negative emotions, I, have, I, can be, I can be impatient. I can be aloof. My thoughts dictate a lot of times how I even interact with my kids and my wife. Those are the fruit of my life. And this right here, this is an apple. <laughs> Neural pathway, just blew some of your minds. This is uh, from the tree of Mike and Carrie McKenzie to go to our church. And uh, interesting about this apple is they have an apple tree, and who doesn't want an apple tree at their house? You get to make uh, apple pies and go out and just get an apple and eat. I mean, it, it, it's great. What we don't know and what you're about to find out is that McKenzie's house, the apple tree grows directly above their su- sewer septic leach system. Sewer. Leach. In the yard. Roots, apple, <laughs> house, pipe, yard, tree, apple. <laughs> now, if he didn't tell me that, I would have eaten this apple. <laughs> but I'm not going to eat this apple. <laughs> this apple, 365 days a year, I know what this apple is grown from. See, the fruit of your life When you have negative thoughts, no one wants to eat the apple. The impatience that you produce, the short short, uh, temper, the anxiety, the aloofness. 
But our thoughts, are, they have a power to change and take, take root and take fruit in our life. I, I don't want to eat that apple. And, and I love the McKenzie's, um, but if they ever come to your house and they want to bring an apple pie for dessert, I would just say, hey, guys, we got one of those. Just, just bring a, a peach pie, maybe. <laughs> peach pie's great. Negative thoughts grow negative fruit. Negative attitudes, negative biases, resentments, bitterness. It's, it's as easy as this. A neural pathway comes from a small thought that I'm worthless. But over a lifetime, that I'm worthless thought becomes a lifestyle. See, I have dealt with anxiety most of my life. In my 20s, I really just kind of got killed by it. In my 30s, I learned to fight anxiety, but I started some neural pathways that probably weren't healthy. And here in my 40s, I'm a couple months in, I, I am working on changing my neural pathways of how I think about fear and how I think about God and how I think about anxiety. Thank God for neuroplasticity. Take a young boy whose parents are getting divorced and he's afraid. We've see, I've seen this a lot. He reacts with anger in a situation and although he doesn't think about it consciously, in his anger he feels in control and powerful for that moment. Well, this young boy just had a new neural pathway formed. When I'm out of control, when I'm afraid, to get angry. He responds with anger more and more and it becomes a trail. And into his 20s, he's known as having a temper. By the time he's 40, it's not a trail, it's a super highway. So much so that he doesn't even think he chooses anger, it just seems to happen. But it's an, it, it is as old as him. And a neural pathway he started when he was a child. And now he's known as an angry person. A girl whose mom was a perfectionist. And maybe her mom never told her, you need to be perfect. But maybe she did. But one thing was sure, as the girl watched her mom's life and as the girl messed up and had failures, she wasn't her mom. And she grew up with this bar of perfectionism and an understanding that I don't have it together. And in her teens, it manifested as insecurity. In her 20s, she was a mess as she expected perfection of herself at every turn. And now, by the time she's married with children, she has projected that on her children and on her husband. True story, I knew a 12-year-old boy uh, and I was sitting across from him, and he, he was just crushed. He was dealing with the fact that his father had just told him something, I think the day before. His dad told him, you are like a little pebble in my shoe. That's what you are. You're the little pebble in my shoe when I'm on a hike. You don't ruin it, but you just bother me. And he goes, this is back in Georgia. He was, he'd be 27 or 28 now. I sat there with him, and as he goes, well, what does that mean? Well, he's 28 now. And that neural pathway has probably been traveled quite often. He probably lives that experience or that moment over. Maybe he doesn't, but he deals with the fact that my dad thinks I am a bother. And what about you? You know, what neural pathways did you maybe carve out young that turned into a trail, that turned into a pathway? What reactions of anxiety and anger just seemed like secondhand to you? But they weren't always like that. Or maybe you don't remember a time before it. Who said something to you um, at some point that has affected the way you see yourself? And it doesn't have to be in your childhood. I, I went through a um, life-changing, terrible time in Georgia, and it's in my message two weeks ago if you want to hear all about the fun stuff I went through. But through that time, I this new neural pathways of pain and jealousy and hurt and heartache. And I remember I um, got to the point where I, I moved back here and I was, I had this belief in my, my mind that it doesn't matter how good things get, it's all going to fall apart. Some neural pathway I got during that time in Georgia. And it was at church at night, maybe eight years ago. He won't remember this, but I'm talking to Brian McGee, and I tell him something good that happened. Oh, man, this just happened. And he goes, that's great. And he goes, man, congratulations. And I go, eh, you know, I don't know if it's worth getting excited over. It'll probably fall, fail too. And he goes, you could win the lottery and find a way to think it's a bad thing. <laughs> and I, whatever, I walked away, and I thought, oh, my gosh. When did I become this? Thank God for neuroplasticity. <laughs> I don't believe that anymore. But I had to work consistently to, to have other ways of thinking that it's not all going to fail. I don't believe that Amy and I are going to fail. I fully believe we're going to thrive. But, but where in your life have you had experiences that have forged neural pathways that you walk and think and that bring up bad fruit 
and that affect you. We all have these things. Every day, these thoughts come at us. And here's the deal. If I've done my job as a speaker at all, then what I've just done is called raising the need for what we're about to talk about now, which is what do we do about this? Okay, so what do we do? Yeah, I have some of that. And yeah, I deal with anxiety, anger, yeah, fantasy. I get it. What do, we, what do we do? If I'm to love God with all of my mind, some of my mind is very unlovable. I don't know if he wants it all. What do we do? Well, we first need to change our paradigm. See, we need to remember that our mind is a battlefield. If our quality of life depends a lot on what we're thinking and the thoughts that we're allowing to go through our head, and God wants us to love him with all of our thoughts, then we need to start taking this a lot more serious. We need to start taking what goes between our ears, these thoughts that happen, take them more seriously. Some of those things that go through our, our mind that are, are, are negative, don't let them get away so easy. Don't let them come in so easy. We have to realize our, our mind is a battleground. If I could take away, let's say, no, it's more, if, if in your life right now, if, if we just took away your anxiety, Right now, any anxiety or worry you had, how would your life be different? Some of you are like, it would all be different. Every second would be different. If you had no anxiety, (laughs) what if you had no uh, insecurity? How would your life be different? If you had no anger or jealousy or bitterness, if it was all gone, what would your life be like? What if thoughts of lust or vice or fantasy, what if those were just gone? I'm trying to, what would happen? We have all these thoughts that go through, but what would it be like if we didn't have it? Some of our lives would be drastically, drastically different. And it happens up here. In Romans 7, Paul talks about this, and he writes in Romans 7 something very refreshing. Something I feel like if I could write this good, I would write. He gets me in this passage. Romans 7, he says, For I have the desire to do what is good. Okay, I'm with you, Paul. I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Okay? For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep doing. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me. Catch this waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to sin. Where does it wage war? Where's the war waged? It's in your mind. There is a war between what God wants and what the enemy has for us, what our flesh wants, what the culture wants, and the battlefield is your mind. And your, all the thoughts, man, that is, the, that is a lot of the ammunition that goes into this warfare. Paul is saying that the battle between good and evil, your mind is ground zero. If our mind is under attack and our mind is going to dictate the quality of life, we should probably start fighting, correct? See, see, just a simple paradigm shift of my mind is the battlefield, and if I view it as a war, and someone's trying to get me, and you know who it is? There's, there's three things that are coming after us, and it's, it's, it's your flesh. It's that part of you that Paul talks about that, that wants to do bad. It's it's the culture. The culture doesn't want what's good. <laughs> the culture, watch commercials, watch TV. They don't, this is not godly. And the accuser is the third one. The accuser is the name given to our enemy. He's called the accuser of the brothers and sisters. And the accusation, where does an accusation hit you? At your identity and your thoughts. He is the accuser and he attacks with accusations in your mind. Second Corinthians 10, three through five. For though we live in the world, we don't wage wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. The word argument here actually translates more, I believe, to the word speculation. We demolish speculations. What is a speculation? We've, I've talked about this before. A speculation is a what if. What if my kid has cancer? What if I'm gonna lose my job? What if my husband this? What if my wife? What if my, the what if speculation comes with anxiety bundled in it. It's a sniper shot. 
When you're driving, when you're sitting, when you're doing something peacefully and out of nowhere you are hit with the thought that causes you some anxiety, that is a speculation and where do you think it comes from? It doesn't come from the throne of God. And we just like, oh, we take the shot. We might even think about it for five minutes, then feel really bad and then put it, oh gosh, get away. But where we let it wound us. He says here we demolish speculations. Demolish meaning take down or destroy. Any speculation, any what if my son, what if my wife, what if my job, what if my boss, what if me, what if my health, whatever your what if is, stop, demolish, take down, destroy. And how do we do this? With the truth. With the truth. One thing I studied this week about the brain is that it does not know the difference between an imagined event and a real event. Do you know that? Virtual reality is just going to, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do a lot to us because already our imaginations, our brain reacts when you start imagining, doesn't it? There's a whole study, and I won't take us through the activity, but about if we all stop and close our eyes and hold a pretend lemon in our hand and we smell it, people actually will smell the lemon. The neural pathways fire. And then if in your imaginations, as I talk us through it, we cut the lemon and you bring it to your mouth and you bite the lemon, people salivate and they pucker. Our neural, we have neural pathways for this stuff. Your brain doesn't always know between a real or an imagined event. And so as you're imagining something happening with your kid having cancer, it's your body is react, your brain's releasing things and reacting ways and you are reacting as if he did. And so we need to stop those things with the truth. Not imagine truth, real truth. One way to do this is, is when they teach people how to spot counterfeit bills, when they go through training for this, and you, you might have heard this before, they don't, they don't bring in all the counterfeit bills and say, memorize all these counterfeit bills because you're gonna have to know all of them. If you see one, you'll need to know which one it is. They, take, they bring them one bill, one bill, and they say, memorize this one. It's the real one, the truth. And they say, when you know the truth, if you know this one, then when you see a fake, you'll know it. The goal isn't to know all the bad counterfeit ones. It's to know the one true one. And so maybe we stop saying, oh, negative thoughts. No, 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 I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna start recognizing negative thoughts and defeating them. Know the truth. Know the truth about your identity. Know the truth about God's identity. Know the truth about who he thinks you are. Know the truth about how you perceive others. And you will spot counterfeits quickly. Demolish speculations and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And this is vital. Knowledge of God to the believer's um, mind is vital. And I just had to ask myself going through this, have I read more Facebook articles or more pages of the Bible lately? Am I listening to more talk radio and more music radio or am I listening to some podcasts? Like, How am I increasing my knowledge of God? How am I growing my reservoir of knowledge so that I have more truth. Because it says here the speculations and pretensions come against the knowledge of God. How have you increased your knowledge this year, this month? And try something new. Put on a podcast. Put on a sermon. Read a book. I don't know. But increase your knowledge. Your love God with all of your mind it means that we are feeding and loving on what he is and who he is and learning more about him. If some speculation or pretension comes against the knowledge of God that I have in my head right here and the only thing that I have in there is he died on the cross and someday I'll be in heaven, how does that knowledge help me today in the moment to defend my identity from the accuser? Now the idea that I will go to heaven someday is dynamite powerful information. It is. But when a speculation comes and tells me I'm a terrible Christian, sinful and wicked, I can't control myself, my vices, my insecurities, I can't quit sinning, I don't feel like worshiping, I don't feel like, I don't feel like God's even there, I don't feel like myself, I don't even like myself. When it comes at that, <laughs> well, I'm going to heaven someday, doesn't quite cut it. I want to know who God says I am. Increase my knowledge. I know John 1.12, I'm a child of God. John 15, 15, I'm a friend of Jesus. My old sin and self have died with Jesus, Romans 6, 6. God does not condemn me, Romans 8, 1. I am loved and accepted by Jesus, Romans 15, 7. I am the dwelling place of the divine Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 2, 14. I'm not a slave to sin. I've been set free by Jesus, Galatians 5, 1. I am chosen, holy, and blameless before God, Ephesians 1, 4. That we need to know the truth and, and have our roots and our thoughts deep in those. And so when the speculation comes, I demolish it. 
There is no condemnation in Christ, and I will not allow that thought to condemn me. Accuser be gone. That seems like a pretty hard option. The other option is sit there and take it. Oh, I am terrible. Oh. Demolish speculations and pretensions that come against the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God, and it ends here. Take captive every thought, every thought, and make it obedient to Christ. And here, it's actually a military picture here. It's a prisoner of war. This is a war for your soul and the battlefield is your mind. So in the war, you take these thoughts captive and you bind them and you march them and you give them no quarter and you give them no mercy because they are death to your mind. We need to stop accepting them as just what I'm thinking about or just, I just happen to come in. Give it no quarter, give it no mercy, bind it and make it obedient to Christ. What does that mean to make it obedient to Christ? Well, who does Jesus say you are? Jesus laid down his life for you. You do have worth. Based on his, his death and resurrection, you have his righteousness. It says that we have the mind of Christ. Make your thoughts obedient to Jesus. Say, so Jesus, this speculation says I'm a terrible person who you're probably ashamed of, but you say I'm a beloved son who's been forgiven by your sacrifice. So Jesus, I choose to believe and I make this thought obedient to you. If you guys want to do any further on this, you know, there's a book I love called The Lies We Believe, one of my favorite books, and it just goes through some of the lies that we believe and it has a lie exercises where I go make a lie inventory and then I go through and put the truth on the other side. And I, you'll be amazed at the lie inventory that you make, just pages of lies that you believe about yourself, about other people, about God. Then you put the truth on the other side and you start living from that right side of the paper. We move on to Romans 12 too. Do not, conform any do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the same word transformed that is used when Jesus' face and body turned into its glorified state on the Mount of Transfiguration. This isn't like some, my, my brain's kind of different. No, this is his face shone like the sun. His clothes were, were white. Like there's, we are to be transformed, changed, more glorified by what? The renewing of our mind. Now, if this was me writing it apart from the spirit, I would have put by the renewing my heart. My heart seems pretty important. My soul even. But, but Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, put mind, the word noose. That's the word, which is ironic because our mind is often what hangs us up, Right? So, so, so we have this, it, it's, it's the mind, it's the thoughts. It's a noose in the Bible. It means your faculties, you're, you're perceiving, you're judging. So to escape the pattern of this world, to, you must be transformed. And you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Thank God for neuroplasticity. That we can renew our mind and be transformed that you would renew neural pathways, that you have always thought of yourself like this, but glory to God, you think about yourself like this. That you've always thought that God thinks about you like this, but now you learn that he doesn't think that way at all. How are some ways to renew our minds? Well, this could be a month's worth of sermons just in this part. So for brevity's sake, I will go through this. Some people say, and I've often read it, you, know, you need to stop the negative thoughts. In fact, they say, think less. And that's the exact opposite thing you should do. You should think more on what God intended you to think. T to change your neural pathways, don't think less bad. Just, just think more ways that God wants you to think. Renew your mind with his goodness. We need to think more about good things and do it often and do it purposefully, purposefully. See, some of us have a faucet on in our mind of just negative thinking. And we need to turn on the hose of well, God's goodness and how he thinks of us and think on his ways. We need to meditate on good things. And I know what you're thinking, oh, Pastor Daniel did it. He's going the positive thinking and meditation route. I'm not even wearing a suit. I mean, I'm not even, I'm not even famous. That's what those guys do, right? They're on TV and they have the, they think positively and meditate. No, no. <laughs> not, not, not just guys in suits on TV do that. Poor rabbis in robes did that too. This, this, isn't, this isn't some pop psychology. This is biblical. I was reading about a non-believer, this non-believer expert in positive thinking. He was talking about um, 
positive thinking and how he always, and that they always assumed it's a modern invention. It's a new thing. And he's on this, he's talking about this, and his mind is blown. They went back and read about these old Hebrew um, rabbis in this old book that I know is the Talmud, and how they were discussing positive thinking, and he couldn't believe it. He's like, it's, it's actually an old practice. That's like, where do you think those sages got it? They got it from the word of God, from the heart of God who created our mind, who knows our mind, who knows what we need, who knows where we take the bait and go the wrong way and know we need to go. Listen, God knows these things. And, and what is our vision? It's to love God and love people. And, and Jesus mentioned it over and over, but it comes from Deuteronomy 6 where he gives instructions on how much of a priority this should have in your hearts. I'm gonna read this to you. This is the Shema in, in, in the Old Testament because this is how serious God takes this. And you can see the positive thinking and meditation in this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk on the road. When you lie down and when you get up, think on these things. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Surround yourself with the reality that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Surround yourself so that your thoughts are consumed with there's one God and I'm to love him with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God with your heart, your soul, mind, and strength. And then he goes, like, teach your kids. Talk about it with your friends and families. Discuss it with coworkers and acquaintances. And he, like, may it be the last thing you think about before you go to sleep. And may you wake up and may it be the first thing you think about when you come conscious. Your first and last thought of each day. Tie something on your hand. Wear a bracelet. Wear a rubber band. Put something on there to remind you to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Wear on a hat. Wear something. Put something on your head so you're conscious of it. Write it on your door frame. So when you leave for work, you're reminded to love God. Write it on your door frame so when you come home from a hard day, you're, you're reminded to go in and love your kids the way God loves you. Write it on your, on your mirror. Write it on your dashboard. Write it all over your home. Put it on your fridge. Think about this. Think about it. Jesus takes this seriously. God took it seriously in Deuteronomy. He, everywhere you go, may this be on your lips. May this be on your mind. And may we do this. Take those places that you often look and put a verse, put something. It could be as simple as the fact that one of your neural pathways is that God doesn't love me. You, God loves me. Put it somewhere and see it 10 times a day. And then when you get used to it being there and what it is, take it, do another one and put it somewhere else. Uh, just, just do this. Surround yourself with reminders to love God with all of your mind and that your thoughts are precious and that they're important. Thank God for neuroplasticity, that we can change these pathways, that we can create new pathways even at some of our ages and change the way we are. Hmm. Should remind us this isn't positive thinking. This is so much more than positive thinking. This is being transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's not just positive thinking. This is melding together the biology and the God who created it with the Bible and what it says. Here's, here's what the New Testament says about positive thinking. Are you ready? Remember, positive thinking is kind of a new pop psychology thing. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I love it. It just says whatever. Like there's no limit to it. Hey, if it's, if it's true, whatever. Whatever is true, whatever is noble. Whatever is noble. And then it says this, if anything is excellent, think about it. That's a, that's a lot of stuff you can think about. That's a lot. Think about these things. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. The Bible is full of this. Get your mind in the neural pathway of remembering and meditating the Shema. And while we're talking about meditating, I know that none of us have any time to do it, right? I don't have time for meditation and it just sounds weird. All meditation is, is conscious, focused thought on something. Anytime you stop and imagine something or fantasize something, you're meditating. You meditate all day. We take stats out of the paper on the internet and we, we meditate over my fantasy football team. No, I, I, I could just do that with God's word instead. Like we're meditating on all different kinds of things. 
And part of meditating is getting your thoughts and marinating them in the word of God so it takes on his flavor. Meditation is marination. I want my thoughts to take on the flavor of God and so that they're falling in line and they are noble and true and right and lovely and admirable. So, continue to, did you know worry is meditation? You are focusedly thinking about something going bad. You're meditating on it. And meditate on something good. It feels so, if you ever try this, I, I, when, I, I, when I first went, oh, I'm gonna meditate, and you start thinking about things going good, it's so weird. It's so strange. My mind went, like, I don't even know what to do here. Meditate on the goodness of God. It's, I love the fact that we can change the makeup of our brains. That anxiety and anger and insecurity and, and, and the self-thoughts that we have do not have to be a reality. Listen to me, some of you out here, the anxiety that you deal with every day does not have to be your everyday reality. The anger and bitterness and jealousy that you deal with does not have to be your everyday reality. The preoccupation you have with fantasy or vice or addiction does not have to be your reality. Orchard, we can be transformed. We can be transformed from those people, from angry or anxious people to peace-filled and grace-filled people. How? By the renewing of our mind so that we are transformed into a more glorified state. Renewing, renewing your mind can take a while. It actually can. This is something we need to purposely dedicate ourselves to. This is why we put stuff up around the house. This is why we, we kind of, I need to set it some time away. This is why I turn off the radio. I have things in my life I do that I, I have to purposefully, intentionally do to renew my mind. And it can take some time, with, with, but, but let me say something. There, it's, it's worth it. The quality of our life hangs in the balance. Those negative thoughts that we allow, I, I'm sick of letting them run me. And maybe you are too. But, but what if you're in a moment, what if, what if you're like, well, that's, that's six months from now. What do I do now? <laughs> what do I do in the moment when it's all crashing down on me? Uh, you're telling me just to, I gotta renew my mind. Well, that's gonna take quite a while. I got new, new neural pathways and you know, all these things. Let, let me just tell you something. What do you do when your day's a mess? What do you do when your mind is a mess, when your heart is a mess? What do you do when you are bound up inside, when you're stressed, you're laying on the bed, you cannot, what do you do in those moments? Usually we distract ourselves with some form of noise or entertainment. Or we, we um, um, fix ourselves by taking something or, or whatever. We have lots of ways to escape it, but we don't ever, we don't ever overcome it. And the life of the prophet Elijah gives us some great insight into this. This is where I'm gonna, I'm gonna land. We pick up in 1 Kings 19, but let me tell you about 1 Kings 18. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah has the greatest day of all time. He, he gathers everybody from the towns in the region to the top of the mountain, and he says, who's God's real? Whichever brings down fire, that's the true God. And all these priests and priestesses are doing their thing, and he says, God, bring down fire. And fire comes from heaven and consumes the offering. He just called down fire from heaven and everybody in the region saw it and goes, oh my goodness, there is a God and it's Yahweh. And then, he's not done yet, he walks up on the top of the mountain and prays that God would stop the drought that's been there for three years and it stops, rain comes. Talk about a day. You've just called down fire and rain. That's a good day, right? I'll, just, I'll take one of those in my office. Just make it rain in the office. And it, you know, I, Elijah has this day that is just undeniable. But then you turn one page to 1 Kings 19. And Jezebel the queen hears of all that God did through Elijah and sends Elijah a word that by this time tomorrow, you will be dead. I am coming for you. I mean, Elijah just called down fire and ended the drought and he's afraid of the queen. And I can't be mad at him because that's how it goes in my house. I don't care, I could be out calling down fire in the front yard, I come in, it's, <laughs> So Elijah is frightened. He's had the greatest day and now the queen's gonna kill him and he's not, is he, is he have all this, this, this confidence and oh, she's gonna come after me? God just, God can do anything. No, you know what he does? He runs, he runs, he takes off. He, it says in verse three, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness. I don't want anybody to know where I am, not even my servant. You stay here, I'm gonna zigzag up there and if I'm way to, you know, to leg king. 
or something. He goes and he finds himself under a broom bush. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Elijah, 24 hours ago, you were calling down fire. You were, you were stopping the drought. And now you're praying that you could die? Quote, he says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm the only prophet left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And if I look at Elijah, after his great victory, and after she wants to kill him, he fell into a bad place. And let's put some, let's put some of our terms to this. I have had enough. I'm unable to cope. It's just too much. It's just too much. I'm no better than my ancestors. That's worthless. That's a worthlessness. I'm no better. Who am I? I'm the only one left. He's alone. He's isolated. Take my life. He's hopeless. He's worthless, hopeless. He's isolated and, and unable to cope. Well, God has him do some self-care. God has him take a nap and then he wakes him up and feeds him. And then God says, go up on the mountain because I'm about to walk by. I'm about to be fully present with you, Elijah. So Elijah, he goes up and he goes on this mountain and he goes in a cave. And there he is in the cave. And it says this, and I love this part of scripture because I don't know what I would do if I was in this place. It says, as he's in this cave, a great and powerful wind tore at the mountain and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. So Elijah stayed in the cave. After the wind, there was an earthquake which shook everything. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. You gotta imagine Elijah in there. Wind, earthquake, and then it says this. After the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. So Elijah stayed in the cave. Wind, earthquakes, and fire. The chaos outside the cave is now equaling and echoing the chaos inside of Elijah. There he is. His mind, his mind is a torrential windstorm. His confidence has been leveled to shaking ground and the wildfire, wildfire of worry has just taken off within him. It is now, he is now the same inside as it is outside, but God was not in either of them. And it says this in verse 12, after the fire came a gentle whisper and when Elijah heard the whisper, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave in God's presence. He hears the call and he steps into God's presence. The word for whisper in Hebrew is demama, which actually means still or silent. I believe personally there wasn't any sound to this call of God. I believe it was the still, silent call of God to Elijah's heart. My son, come outside. He knew God wasn't in the wind. He knew it wasn't in the earthquake or the fire. He heard the still, quiet demama call of God and he stepped out. Elijah was full of worthless, hopeless thoughts. But he stepped out into God's presence. He steps out of the cave of his depression and his anxiety and into the presence of God. And there in the presence of God, Elijah is revived. His inability to cope is turned to power in the presence of God. His worthless self-image is transformed into a true identity in the presence of God. Of God. His hopelessness is given purpose in the presence of God. His isolation is broken by the comforting friendship of the presence of God. The presence in the presence of God is all we need for peace. In the presence of God is all the purpose you need, all the identity you need, all the hope you need, and all the power you need to overcome. God came and he can revive and bring peace to your mind in an instant. Yes, yes, neural pathways and, and renewing our mind, can, we have to discipline ourselves to, to, to go further than that, but God can revive your mind and your identity in a heartbeat, but only in the presence of God. Time after time we read about it in his word and time after time we've experienced, as he says, my son in my presence is all that you need. This is the number one thing God has been saying to me in the past six months, bar, bar none. My son, everything you desire is in my presence. And I go to so many other places to find it. See, unfortunately, many of us don't pursue God in a still small call of his presence. We go to the whirlwind of relationships hoping they give us the identity we want. We go to the shaky earth of vice or addiction hoping as they give us the fix that we need. We step into the fire of work hoping that gives us the purpose. But we don't pause and listen and step into the presence of God that gives us everything we need in peace and purpose. And today, I just want you to consider this. Yes, let's pursue God to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. 
Let us do all we can to step into those ways. But may we remember and may we know that in the presence of God is all we desire for peace. In your anxiety, in the presence of God is all you desire. In in all the purpose, all the identity. Your neural pathways in the presence of God can be rewired as you know what he thinks about you and what he sees in you and how he sees you. For some of us, this is, this is a sermon, and for some of us, this is, this is a lifeline because of what we deal with up here. I hope that you today hear that there is hope, that you can love God with all of your mind and all of those thoughts that just speculate and snipe you. You do not have to give them your, your mind and that there's a better way there's a better way to having your mind renewed in the presence of God, renewed in the scripture and in the, in, the, in the thoughts of God. In Orchard, may we be a people who learn this, who are transformed, who rise above. Orchard, may we be a people who aren't crushed by anxiety and anger and bitterness and worry and stress. It, it's in here. It's in here, and it's in God's presence. It's like this treasure. Are, are you, do you want to go after it? Are you willing to go after it? God says, love me with all your mind. And it's such a foreign idea because my mind is so unredeemed, it seems, in places. But I start there and say, God, my mind is yours. My thoughts are yours. Teach me to think your ways. Give me, as your word says, the mind of Christ that I might love you with all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my mind. And next week we learned about how to love God with all your strength. Let me pray for you. Father, We thank you for men like Elijah who are so human that we see ourselves in it. Father, many of us are in a cave of depression, anxiety, and anger. I pray that your still small voice, your de mama, would call us in this time. That you would say, my daughter, come out. My son, come to me. Father, revive, rewire, renew our minds. Lord, forgive us for the thoughts we think. But God, I pray that you would help us to be a people who think great thoughts Great thoughts about you, about ourselves. Lord, may our minds be a place that produces great fruit. So we collectively surrender ourselves to you in worship. If anybody in here needs prayer for anything at all, maybe prayer about something concerning today's sermon or just a prayer of blessing or help for this week, we have a prayer team at the front and at the sides. You're free to come down. We have our open communion here today. The body and the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the symbol of that. Orchard, let us worship him. Let us respond however he would lead us to respond in this time. Amen?